You're listening to the Future Tech Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies such as artificial intelligence, stem cells, 3D printing, gene editing, Bitcoin, blockchain, the microbiome, quantum computing, virtual reality, and exploring space are much closer than you might think. In fact, many early versions of these technologies are in play right now, and the companies that are using these technologies are the focus of this podcast. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a thorny medical problem. Remember, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoyed the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and tell your friends about it. Thank you. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech and Future Tech Health podcast. I have Wesley Wearson. He's the founder and CEO of Leo Labs. The website is leahlabs.com. We're talking about uh, curing cancer in dogs. So, Wesley, thank you for coming. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here and talk about Leo Labs today. Yeah, I spoke to a veterinarian named Barbara Royal, and uh, she told me that I guess the cancer rate in dogs is... Uh, I don't know, hovering around 50%. Is that uh, anywhere close to accurate? Yeah, yeah. So uh, about 50% of dogs uh, over 10 years old die of cancer, and about one in three dogs total uh, die of cancer. So really, um, I mean, we all have a dog or we all you know, have a family member that has a dog, and uh, the odds are uh, pretty great that that dog is unfortunately going to be afflicted with cancer someday. That's crazy. I mean, you know, I know dogs uh, age faster than people, but uh, is this a recent statistic? I mean, has it been like this for many years or is this uh, increasing recently? Uh, no, I, I think it's a recent. Sti- uh, uh, I mean, it's, the, the statistic is new. Um, it's just coming out. Uh, but yeah, I mean, this has been around, you know, uh, uh, since we've kind of had dogs. Um, so really, I think the reason that it's becoming, you know, um, talked about a little bit more is just because uh, uh, the dog population kind of continues to rise. So, you know, we're around 90 million dogs uh, in the U.S. right now. Um, and the amount of money that we spend on our on our companion animals and, uh, you know, our, our furry furry friends um, also continues to rise. So it's up to 72 billion right now um, in the U.S. alone. So uh, I think, you know, a number of factors kind of are, are really showing people um, how many dogs that there are in the, in the U.S., you know, and, and how much is spent. Um, and then that's really kind of uh, bringing to the forefront uh, the amount of cancer that is that is found in dogs, um, and and also um, you know the the translational model that dogs are for cancer in humans. Um, back in the early 2000s, uh, the in the NCI National Cancer Institute um, and the NIH National Institute of Health kind of launched this One Health model, uh, where what we learn from uh, treating and studying cancer in humans can also be translated to dogs and then vice versa. So really, I think it's just a number of factors uh, that really kind of are driving, uh, you know, to people's interest and, and people's knowledge, the fact that cancer is really a pressing issue um, in man's best friend. Well, again, do you think the, the rate of cancer in dogs is increasing or it's just being reported uh, more often nowadays? Or is it just because we have yeah, more yeah, dogs with cancer? But No, I, I think it's just being reported a little bit more. I mean, the as far as I know, um, I'm, I'm no veterinarian, full disclosure, but um, as far as I know, the, you know, the rates are are about the same. Um, of course, you know, true bred uh, uh, dogs continue to, to kind of rise. And so 
of course, that brings um, some of their own uh, problems with, you know, inbreeding all these dog lines and kind of, you know, we're, we're creating mutant dogs, really. Um, so that that maybe is, is affecting the, the cancer rate. But as far as I'm aware, uh, really, you know, cancer has kind of always been an issue. Um, it's just kind of being more obvious uh, and more talked about now. So what's the premise of Leo Labs? What, uh, how are you planning to intervene and help dogs? Yeah, you bet. Uh, so really, Leo Labs was founded uh, for a number of reasons. So um, in order to tell that story, I kind of have to give a little bit about my background. Um, so I just finished my PhD from Iowa State University um, in December. And during my time there, I studied gene editing technology development. And so what I found um, and what we filed a patent for um, is this method of putting DNA into the genome um, at specific sites. So I, I'm sure you've heard of CRISPR or the, the listeners here have heard of CRISPR. Um, and so really CRISPR is just a tool, you know, that allows us to cut DNA. Um, however, uh, what happens after you cut the DNA is really what the important part is. And so for, um, the, for the moniker, it's kind of like a, editing a Word document. And so what I found um, is that using CRISPR, you know, I, I developed this technology that allows us to put in new paragraphs into an already built essay, such as the genome. And the new paragraphs we uh, to to recode the DNA. So what what is the premise of uh, Leo Labs? How do you want to make an intervention in uh, cancer in dogs? Yeah, it's a great question. So Leo Labs really was founded um, to bring cell therapies to dogs. And so uh, you know there's been recent uh, you know big news on CAR T cell therapy, which is um, FDA approved now for humans to treat lymphoma and leukemia, and uh, a lot of research is going into treating other types of cancer. And so uh, th this really works quite well in, in human cancers that are uh, relapsed or refractory to general uh, chemotherapeutics. And so Leo Labs was kind of founded to really take that great success um, and then translate that into the, uh, to dogs. And so really um, in humans, it's uh, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma is one of the types of cancer that CAR T cell therapy is able to uh, induce remissions and, and maybe we could even say cure in some cases. And uh, dogs get the same type of cancer. It's called B-cell lymphoma. So really, Leo Labs was founded um, to be a company to kind of translate some of the success of cell therapy in humans and bring that to dogs. And then, of course, there's a whole, uh, whole conversation to have about um, the reasons why we, we may want to cure cancer in dogs. Um, so we can, we can talk about that, too. Well, it seems uh, obvious why you want to cure cancer in dogs. I mean, at least for the dog owners and the dogs themselves. but are there other reasons that, uh, you know, haven't been mentioned? Will it be a good yeah, proxy so, for people? I mean, what, what's the other reason? Yeah, yeah. So um, really, you know, how dogs, how I mentioned earlier, how dog is a really nice model for cancer in, in humans. And so um, we're able to treat dogs that have cancer, that have this type of cancer, B-cell lymphoma. Um, and if we treat them with CAR T-cell therapy, we can actually study how that works. Um, in dogs and then be able to translate that back into humans. And so um, a, a really good example of that could be um, in humans right now, there's a lot of toxicities involved with CAR T cell therapy. And so the idea here could be that um, if we use the dog as a model to study how to mitigate those toxicities uh, or how to entirely avoid those toxicities, um, we could then you know, learn how to treat humans uh, for those toxicities. And the way this is done right now, um, it, it's not really done very well. So the way current CAR T cell therapy is developed um, is using immunocompromised mice. So we have mice that are in the lab, they have no immune systems. You transplant in tumors and you treat them with a CAR T cell therapy product. Um, and then you either are able to kind of cure that mouse of a, of a transplanted cancer 
uh, or not. And then you kind of move that along down the line and end up, uh, you know, eventually treating a human with that. Um, however, you're not able to see those toxicities until you get into a human. And so using the dog to kind of bridge that gap, um, we can not only, you know, cure cancer in dogs and, and have a, a really great impact on the world, but then also turn around and amass a lot of clinical data in a very relevant system um, that then kind of goes back and then informs humans uh, as well. Well, I've heard, though, that CAR-T cell therapy is like a million dollars or hundreds of thousands for one person. Mm-hmm. So how would how would that happen in dogs? Yeah, so the average price uh, is around, you know, 400000 or so right now. Um, and then when you factor in all of the other ancillary costs um, to actually treat a human, you know, you get up to 750000 or so. So, yeah, uh, there aren't very many dog owners in the world who would be willing to spend that, though I'm sure that there are uh, a few. However, um, there's a number of reasons that the CAR-T cell therapy in humans is, is very expensive. So uh, one of them is the fact that they generate their CAR-T cells with the use of virus. And so every single dose of CAR-T cells that goes into a human right now, um, it costs about forty to $50,000 just for the dose of virus that's used to engineer those T cells. Um, and then on top of that, you have to uh, generate a manufacturing plant that is GMP grade for that virus and for the entire process, which costs uh, you know, fifty, hundred million dollars uh, to build the to build that manufacturing plant, uh, and so all of that has to then be amortized over the the life of the product. Um, and not to mention just uh, the fact that this is all autologous therapy right now. So you take cells out from a sick human, you engineer those, and then put them back into that same human. So those are some of the reasons why it costs about you know four hundred thousand uh, dollars. However, Lee Labs really we're, we're doing a totally different thing. So so we use gene editing to reprogram uh, the T cells. Number one and number two, um, we are generating allogenic CAR T cell therapy. So where humans are being treated with autologous CAR T right now, we're developing allogenic CAR T. So that's another reason why we're using dogs, or, or another great um, thing that using the dog can help us model is uh, how to use allogenic CAR T cell therapy. Uh, so, th- so those reasons really kind of drop the price point for us um, right now. You know, we can generate a dose of CAR T cell therapy uh, for a dog for around a thousand bucks, and when we get to market, you know, we're really looking to uh, make that about half or or even ten percent of that cost right now. Wait, why would why would it be so much schematically different? The mechanism instead of using viruses, you're using a different mechanism. But why can you do that in dogs, and why can they not do that in people? Right, right. So um, there is uh, certainly research going on right now for using gene editing uh, to create CAR T cell therapy in humans. Um, but I guess a, another point that I failed to mention um, is the fact that this is all regulated via the FDA in humans, which of course uh, makes the manufacturing process um, a lot more expensive. And so we're actually regulated via the USDA. And so it, it really only takes us um, you know, two to three years to complete a clinical trial and get to market. Whereas in humans, it takes, you know, five to 10 years. And so all of those costs um, really add up to create a much more expensive therapy in humans. Um, And so really, you know, someday, of course, uh, the the idea is that allergenic CAR T cell therapy for humans, even though it's regulated by the FDA, uh, will, you know, the price point will drop tenfold um, or even a hundredfold. And I really think that Leah Labs is positioned to kind of help influence that, uh, you know, to help democratize cell therapies uh, by, you know, uh, the, the gene editing model that we're developing. It's too bad if more people kept pet mice and loved them as much as uh, as dogs, you know, they would have made tremendous headway by now. We've stirred all kinds of stuff in mice. But um, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Do you know if dogs are a better proxy for 
drugs and how they act in humans, or are they just as good or bad as mice? Like any sense oh, it's a much better that? proxy. Yeah, yeah, it's a much better proxy. So again, that's that's why um, you know in the early 2000s, this One Health initiative was founded by uh, the NIH and NCI, uh, just because of how um, you know dogs and humans share almost everything these days, right? We sleep together, we live together, eat some of the same foods, um, and you know we we just share our entire lives with dogs. And so um, also a, a really big point here is that dogs get spontaneous disease. Uh, just like humans do. So in mice, you know, we have to induce disease to study it, uh, generally speaking. And so dogs actually just get the disease naturally. And that uh, is another reason why they're a really great model. Wait a minute. You, most diseases in mice have to be induced. They don't naturally happen. And yet people think that's a good proxy for what would happen in people. Uh, in yeah, because I mean, it's it's crazy. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, it's the best that we have. So um, being able to um, induce disease in mice to then study it. Uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of silly that we give animals disease to try to study how to make them better um, rather than take naturally occurring disease, um, study how to make it better. And so again, uh, for CAR T-cell therapy in particular, um, you know, we have immunocompromised mice that are mutants. They have no immune system. They have to be kept in notobiotic conditions. And then uh, what we do is we transplant tumors into those mice, human tumors into those mice let the tumor kind of take over the mouse and then um, then dose them with a CAR T cell therapy and see how that CAR T cell therapy works in the mouse. Um, and so really that's just a terrible model um, for this. And so we hope that Lee Labs will be able to uh, kind of flip the script a little bit and use dogs uh, to, to help study these things. That, that just sounds crazy to me. I mean, he's picking, I mean, I know, you know, and preaching to, it's falling on deaf ears, I know. I just, as you're saying this, when you think about that, we're using genetically modified, homogenized animal models, i.e. mice and rats. We're inducing disease in them that doesn't normally happen, which should tell you that it's not likely the model will actually happen in a person. Then they're pretty dissimilar to people. And we're expecting to find the correlation between what happens in mice and in people. That's yeah, exactly. Kind of crazy. Yeah, I mean, it's the the best that we've had for a really long time, uh, but I think that dogs are poised to kind of help us um, change that model. Um, you know, dogs are, are dying today of, of these natural diseases, um, and, you know, we, certainly Leah Labs does not intend to give any dogs any disease, right? Uh, we just want to take dogs that have disease um, and try to either cure them. Um, you know, of course, once we have a product that's approved, you know, we will know that we have a certain success rate. Um, and that that will be great, uh, but also you know just to use the dog as an experimental kind of ethical model where they're they're going to be dying they're on their deathbed we could give them the potential for life again and then we can uh, learn from that as well so really you know the, that's why we're so excited about the, this model that we're building why not in in order to bolster your efforts why not talk to certain pharmaceutical companies and say you know we're going to be running this in dogs anyway the data is much more likely to help you with what you do, you know, if it's a company that's working on car cheat therapies. So, you know, we would like a subsidy from you in order to do this because we're going to share the results with you and allow you to use it too in your, you know, eventual hopeful human trials and maybe offset your costs that way and allow you to do a lot more than you currently could do. Right, right. So that's certainly uh, kind of on our, you know, the Leah Labs vision board is to um, have the leverage to be able to approach those companies uh, you know, we're pretty early. We just kind of launched uh, our operations in January of this year. Uh, so we're we're looking to get a little bit further along in our uh, our first asset development. 
uh, before we do go ahead and approach those companies. Uh, but of course, you know, um, the, the big CAR-T players like Novartis, um, they have uh, some monkey models, of course, that they use. Um, however, uh, you know, we, we think that the dog could be even more ethical than a monkey uh, for, you know, um, just those, those reasons of intelligence. Well, because you operate under a different regulatory regime that's a lot quicker, a lot cheaper, a lot easier, you may be able to get things through faster and easier and, you know, and inform what they're doing. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly uh, what we hope to do someday. And so you, you, you can even do this outside of uh, the, the regulatory path as well in dogs. Uh, so veterinarians uh, are actually allowed to treat animals with anything that they want to, provided that it's uh, pure and, and uh, uh, safe from bacteria um, and isn't just going to obviously make the animal sick. Uh, veterinarians are allowed to give experimental treatments to dogs um, under a, a veterinary client-patient relationship. And so that, that's really a, another strong point for uh, being able to work with pharmaceutical companies someday uh, to help build out their products um, and then also, uh, you know, inform how, uh, how we move forward with, with new products as well. I mean, the scope of what you could do and what you have to do is like really crazy now that I think about it. But again, you've got a lot of advantages. Like if you're going to do a trial, you can control for diet much easier in dogs than you can in people. You know, that's a complaint I've right. heard from a lot of these clinical trials. Oh, you, you can't control for diet, which I don't agree. But I, I know you can. But in dogs, it seems like it would be far easier to do that, get the compliance you want. So, I mean, what you're doing can really shed light on a tremendous amount of other uh, areas and, you know, get to results pretty quick or much quicker than in human trials. Yeah, yep. No, we're, that's exactly why uh, you're, you're, you're hitting it on the head. Yeah, that's exactly why we're really excited about what, what we have going on. Well, why the focus on... Um, on CAR-T, why not maybe start with, I don't know, diet, for instance, and see how that affects, or do you believe that that, that won't have an effect on cancer? Uh, yeah, so I think um, the, it'll be much easier for me to answer the why CAR-T question. So um, one of our co-founders uh, is Dr. Saad Kandarian. Uh, he treats patients currently at the Mayo Clinic with CAR-T cell therapy. And so with his expertise, um, it was kind of a no-brainer uh, to kind of go after CAR-T. Um, and not to mention the fact that you know, truly, when it boils down to it, um, our co-founders are all gene editors, and we have wanted to use gene editing uh, to change the world. Uh, certainly, since I started my PhD, um, even before then, I, I worked on talons as an undergraduate um, in 2011. And so really, since then, I've been dreaming about using gene editing. Um, and some of our co-founders have been in the gene editing space, you know, for 30 years. And so um, CAR-T cell therapy was just kind of, you know, the first logical step, I guess, um, after it was proven in humans. Uh, to use gene editing to create CAR T cell therapy uh, for, you know, all the reasons that I outlined previously on the dog as a model, uh, but also just to be able to um, be innovating on the manufacturing platform for CAR T cell therapy. So I said, you know, uh, current FDA approved CAR T is all non or is all viral, uh, viral based delivery strategies. And so, you know, with us developing this non-viral gene editing platform, um, it's really kind of right in our wheelhouse. And so what we develop um, and patent in, in that way um, also can directly translate into the manufacturing process for human CAR T cells. So uh, right, really yeah, CAR T cells, even though it was, uh, even though it's, you know, one of the more challenging problems um, to date in, uh, in cancer, uh, or at least in cancer treatments, um, we are really excited to, you know, be entering that space. Well, that's great. Do you have the background to be able to talk about the mechanisms and how CAR T works and why? 
Uh, yeah, that would not necessarily be my entire focus. <laughs> uh, certainly, that's our CAR-T founder. So I'm, I'm the gene editor and the kind of the, the leader of the company here. But uh, just generally speaking, yeah, so um, I, I do understand what a CAR-T cell is. Uh, so CAR-T cells are uh, genetically engineered T cells. So T cells, of course, are found in, in all mammals, and they help to uh, fight off foreign invaders. And so uh, what scientists in the 90s found out is that if you create this CAR, the chimeric antigen receptor, uh, by fusing essentially an antibody domain to the T cell receptor, um, you can then uh, reprogram the specificity of T cells to instead of uh, recognizing foreign invaders via the T cell receptor complex uh, to recognize foreign invaders or to recognize whatever you tell them to uh, by re-engineering the antibody domain that you put on the T cell receptor. And so then once the T cell receptor encounters its, uh, its target antigen, then it's able to uh, turn on the killing response that T cells have natively um, and release uh, uh, all the different you know molecules that are able to then kill cells. So this all stems from the fact that, unfortunately, cancer is good at evading the immune system, and that's why you have to reprogram some of the immune cells to specifically recognize a particular cancer. Yeah, that's exactly right. So uh, T cells don't normally recognize cancer as foreign, um, and so th this really just uh, kind of reprograms them and helps them go find and bind to the cancer cells in, a, in an antibody-specific uh, way. So. Um, and that's also one of the really great things about CAR T cell therapy in general is that um, all you have to do is reprogram a single part of the CAR, the antigen receptor domain, and then you can retarget the cells to target, you know, these different shapes that are found on different types of cancer. What insights have you gotten from how cancer affects dogs, you know, that would be applicable to people? Does it tend to advance in the same way? Are there any insights that, that you've gotten or you've heard from, you know, the investigators you work with? things that they wouldn't normally know? Uh, I couldn't comment on that per se, no. I mean, the, the literature for B, for B-cell lymphoma in dogs, um, you know, has been developed over the last, you know, 40 or so years. Um, and and we, we know pretty well that B-cell lymphoma um, is a really great model of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma in humans. Uh, a lot of the same drivers for non-Hodgkin's lymphoma in humans are, are also present in dogs. Um, and of course, the, the phenotype and the, it's the same cells uh, that get sick and all of that. So um, the, those are those are really nice. Um, you know that just proves out the model quite a bit. What um, what have you seen as like the outside public perception? You know, when you talk about using animals for experimentation, it's, you know, people think all the animals are abused and they're in horrible conditions and they're sacrificed. But since you're doing it to help these animals themselves, do you find that it's a much easier path and there's less resistance by groups to you doing this? Yeah, so um, we have not quite attracted the attention of, uh, you know, the different animal rights groups. Um, however, I'm, um, you know, almost excited, if you will, uh, to engage those groups just because of um, how, you know, what we are doing really is this um, ethical animal experimentation, if you will. Um, so, you know, we're not giving an animal's disease. We're trying to cure the disease that they already have. Um, I have, however, gotten some questions about, uh, you know, using gene editing and whether we're creating GMO dogs um, and just, you know, th that kind of thing. Uh, and again, um, those questions excite me uh, to get because that's kind of an opportunity for um, science communication and outreach. And so really, um, you know, of course, we're not creating, you know, genetically modified dogs. Um, we are just engineering cells that go into the dogs um, and those cells 
you know, are helping to cure the dog of cancer. So really, um, you know, you have to think when you're using gene editing, of like all the stakeholders that are involved here. Uh, and so certainly when you are able to offer something uh, that can help someone who may be anti-GMO, uh, when you're able to offer something that's gene modified, that can actually help them, um, you know, of course, they're much more willing to understand and, and accept that. So we're, we're not super concerned about, um, you know, the animal rights groups being too, uh, too worried with, with what we're up to. Well, that's the nice thing is the animals that are being used in experiments, like you said, they already have disease. They're going to die unless you help them. You're helping them. They're going to get the benefit of the health. I mean, it's like in every way, it's just such a, a better outcome for them. You're not turning them into yep. other creatures. You're just trying to help them restore their health. So there should be, you know, again, I was naive, but there should be no outcry from animal rights groups. You're actually helping the animals. You're trying to help mm -hmm. millions of dogs, billions of dogs. Yeah? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, uh, of course, the, the the unfortunate truth uh, with any, you know, new, really uh, innovative and experimental drug is that um, potentially uh, during your research and development, um, you know, a dog may succumb uh, to the disease either faster because of what you give them or potentially what you give them um, ends up causing uh, them to perish. But um, those are just kind of, you know, uh, uh, what happens in, in research and development. And of course, anything uh, negative that happens, we're certainly going to be learning from uh, to then be able to uh, move on and uh, create a better therapy. You know, it's funny. Imagine if uh, a requirement of animal experimentation was that you could not induce illness. You could only work on stuff that naturally was occurring in the animals. I mean, that mm -hmm. would, I don't know if it's a good or bad thing. It seems like initially when I say it, it's a good thing, but that would at least benefit the poor animals that are giving their lives, uh, you know, for new treatments instead of just being used and slaughtered and getting no benefits. Yeah, exactly. I, I think it would be a, a really nice kind of uh, paradigm switch to um, try to engineer health rather than engineer disease and and uh, then try to give health to, to an animal. Well, I mean, you know, whatever it's worth, I personally think that it's a great thing that you guys are trying to do I mean, for many, many reasons. So that's uh, you know, kudos to you for doing that. It's, it's got a lot of great hallmarks, I think, of good stuff, in my opinion. So. Yeah, great. Well, thank you. Thank you. We're, we're really excited as well. So what what would be some like really happy milestones for you to achieve in the next you know couple of years? Yeah. So what's really exciting about what we're developing is that really in the next couple of years, we can get to market with a, a new therapeutic for dogs. Um, so currently uh, we're just building out kind of the, the cell engineering platform uh, before we treat our first animal um, and all the quality control that needs to happen uh, before we actually are able to put a uh, therapy into a dog. Um, but once we're actually able to then get our therapy into a dog, uh, the, the USDA path of approval is, is quite straightforward. Uh, so in the next two years, um, you know, we will have treated uh, our first dogs uh, in an experimental setting um, and then also treated um, client-owned animals that are actually sick. Uh, so we're really excited about that. And then, uh, you know, we'll be moving through the USDA uh, clinical trial process. Uh, where we just have to treat uh, 30 to 50 dogs, uh, show that we um, are able to induce uh, a clinical response that is greater than the standard of care, uh, or I'm sorry, that, that is greater than placebo. Um, and the, the great thing is uh, there's new regulation with the USDA where we actually don't even have to uh, treat dogs with placebo. 
so really, all we have to do is beat a historical control uh, placebo, which is um, anywhere from 30 to 50 days of life after a diagnosis for B-cell lymphoma. So really, no dogs have to die even uh, in a placebo treatment uh, like this, which is, which is really awesome for, for our um, you know, animal rights uh, hope moving forward. And then, uh, you know, at the end of year three, uh, we should be able to be conditionally uh, approved by the USDA and ready to sell our product um, across the nation. What about total cost, you know, for a clinical trial for people, you know, all the animals used, and et cetera, I've heard it costs you know, hundreds of millions or billions. What's the price comparison here for dogs? Right. So we're really looking at um, only about $5 million uh, to get us through all of R&D and all of the clinical trials needed to get this done, uh, which is, you know, 100x to 1,000x cheaper uh, than what can be done in humans for, for developing new therapeutics. Uh, so that's really exciting for us. Um, and then the, uh, you know, entering the market and scaling uh, maybe a, a few more million, uh, but really, you know, $5 million in, in R&D and regulatory costs um, is all it takes to get us to market. Okay. Well, very good. What's the best way for folks to get in touch and find out more? Yeah, so uh, just uh, www.lealabs.com, uh, as you mentioned in the intro. Um, and then you can find me at Wes, W-E-S, at lealabs.com. And uh, we'd be really excited to talk to anyone who uh, wants to know more about what we have going on um, and uh, anyone who thinks that we could work together. That's great. Wes, glad I met you. Podcast with you, and I appreciate you being here. Yeah, thank you for the time. That was a lot of fun. You're listening to the Future Tech Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies such as artificial intelligence, stem cells, 3D printing, gene editing, Bitcoin, blockchain, the microbiome, quantum computing, virtual reality, and exploring space are much closer than you might think. In fact, many early versions of these technologies are in play right now and the companies that are using these technologies for the focus of this podcast. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a thorny medical problem. Remember, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you've enjoyed the podcast, Please listen, subscribe, like, and tell your friends about it. Thank you.